Please stand with me for the reading of God's word. Today's scripture reading is Psalm chapter 37. Fret not yourself because of evildoers. Be not envious of wrongdoers. For they will soon fade like the grass and wither like the green herb. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and befriend faithfulness. Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in him and he will act. He will bring forth your righteousness as the light and your justice as the noonday. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Fret not yourself over the one who prospers in his way over the man who carries out evil devices. Refrain from anger and forsake wrath. Fret not yourself. It tends only to evil. For the evildoers shall be cut off, but those who wait for the Lord shall inherit the land. In just a little while, the wicked will be no more. Though you look carefully at his place, he will not be there. But the meek shall inherit the land and delight themselves in abundant peace. The wicked plots against the righteous and gnashes his teeth at him, but the Lord laughs at the wicked, for he sees that his day is coming. The wicked draw the sword and bend their bows to bring down the poor and needy, to slay those whose way is upright. Their sword shall enter their own heart, and their bows shall be broken. Better is the little that the righteous has than the abundance of many wicked. For the arms of the wicked shall be broken, but the Lord upholds the righteous. The Lord knows the days of the blameless, and their heritage will remain forever. They are not put to shame in evil times. In the days of famine, they have abundance, but the wicked will perish. The enemies of the Lord are like the glory of the pastures. They vanish. Like smoke, they vanish away. The wicked borrows but does not pay back, but the righteous is generous and gives. For those blessed by the Lord shall inherit the land, but those cursed by him shall be cut off. The steps of a man are established by the Lord when he delights in his way. Though he fall, he shall not be cast headlong, for the Lord upholds his hand. I have been young, and now I'm old. Yet I have not seen the righteous forsaken or his children begging for bread. He is ever lending generously, and his children become a blessing. Turn away from evil and do good, so shall you dwell forever. For the Lord loves justice. He will not forsake his saints. They are preserved forever, but the children of the wicked shall be cut off. The righteous shall inherit the land and dwell upon it forever. The mouth of the righteous utters wisdom, and his tongue speaks justice. The law of his God is in his heart. His steps do not slip. The wicked watches for the righteous and seeks to put him to death. The Lord will not abandon him to his power or let him be condemned when he is brought to trial. Wait for the Lord and keep his way, and he will exalt you to inherit the land. You will look on when the wicked are cut off. I have seen a wicked, ruthless man spreading himself like a green laurel tree, but he passed away, and behold, he was no more. Though I saw him, he could not be found. Mark the blameless and behold the upright, for there is a future for the man of peace. But transgressors shall be altogether destroyed. The future of the wicked shall be cut off. The salvation of the righteous is from the Lord. He is their stronghold in the time of trouble. The Lord helps them and delivers them. 
He delivers them from the wicked and saves them because they take refuge in him. This is the word of God. Good morning, family of God. Psalm 37 is God teaching us how to walk with God when it looks like evil is winning in the world. This is a wisdom psalm rather than a prayer. A lot of the psalms are people talking to God, but this is God talking to people through a human sage, a wisdom teacher. And God's goal is to make us mature. In fact, the title of my sermon today is Spiritual Maturity. I want us to think about this concept. Everybody say mature. When we become Christians, trust in Jesus Christ, we're born again. If anyone's in Christ, he's a new creation. God gives us new spiritual life. The mark of a true Christian is uh, we love Jesus and we don't like sin the same way we used to. Our heart has changed. New desires have been awakened in us by the Holy Spirit. He's freed us to become who we really are. But we're born again as babies. And God doesn't want to leave us spiritual babies. He wants us to grow to maturity. You know what it's like to be around really mature Christians that are stable, steadfast, so that in good times and in bad times, they're filled with the Holy Spirit. There's a deep abiding peace in them. There's a Love in them, a hospitality in them. There's a wisdom that flows out of their hearts and out of their mouths. Don't you like being around people like that? Wouldn't it be awesome if all of us were people like that? (laughs) Well, the Bible has given us this psalm to help because if we're going to be mature people, we've got to learn how to walk with God and be zealous for God and be grounded in the gospel of Jesus Christ, not only when things are going well, but when it looks a lot like evil is winning in the world. You can have resilient joy in up seasons and down seasons. You can have the peace of God in your heart so you can be a peacemaker. You can be a person of integrity in up seasons and down seasons. Now this psalm, you may have noticed, is a long psalm. It's an acrostic. You can't see it in English, but In Hebrew, each stanza begins with a different letter from the Hebrew alphabet. So it's kind of exploring this theme from A to Z. And it's not like some of Paul's letters that each part builds on the other logically. It's more like the book of Proverbs that it keeps circling around and coming back to certain themes. So I'm not going to be able to talk about everything in the psalm today. But what I want to do is first take a moment to really soak in the main theme of the psalm and then... Zoom in to look at a few of the little specific verses, okay? So first, here's the main theme. Don't fret when evil appears to be winning because that appearance is an illusion. Evil is always losing. Good is always winning because God is good. That's the main theme of the song. Don't fret. That means hold yourself together, (laughs) It means by God's grace, stay centered. It means don't freak out. You could say this a lot of different ways. It means don't get into bitterness. 
when those emotions of anxiety and fear and frustration, which are natural, normal human emotions, come up. There's nothing wrong with having those emotions come up, but that's a time to turn our eyes back to Jesus. To be rooted in the truth instead of controlled by our impulses. Let me just show you some of the places that this theme shows up in the psalm. It's really in almost every stanza of the psalm. But let's just start at the very beginning. Verses 1 and 2. Fret not yourself because of evildoers. Be not envious of wrongdoers. For they will soon fade like grass. And wither like the green herb. So here's an analogy saying it may look like wicked people are flourishing and thriving. And having fun doing it. And nobody can stop them. But they're like the grass. It grows and it's green. It looks nice for a day. And then it's gone tomorrow. It's short-lived. It can help us to compare this opening stanza with verses 35 to 36. Skip towards the end. Verses 35 through 36 are making the point that it often doesn't look to us like verses 1 and 2 are true. We need God's perspective to see the truth of verses 1 and 2. Because verse 35 and 36 says this, I have seen a wicked, ruthless man spreading himself like a green laurel tree. That's not grass. I've seen wicked people that look strong. They look tough. They look like they're thriving and flourishing. They look resilient. They look like they're going to be there for a long time and they're going to spread out and they're going to take over the whole world. Often it looks like evil is winning. But verse 36, but he passed away. And behold, he was no more. Though I sought him, he could not be found. Sometimes it looked like the wicked, ruthless people. Nobody could stop them. They'll never be stopped. Can you imagine being one of those early Christians when Nero Caesar was in charge of Rome? He had all the power. He commanded the most powerful empire in the history of the world. He had the most powerful military in the world at his command. And he was ruthlessly killing Christians and he was a madman. From every human perspective, it seemed like nobody's going to be able to stop this guy. But he's only remembered in infamy. And the church he tried to crush is still thriving. It's spreading two billion people on the face of the planet, naming the name of Jesus. It looked like he was spreading himself out like a green laurel tree, but he was like grass. Think of those first Slaves in the American South that embraced the gospel of Jesus Christ. Wicked, ruthless men oppressing them. And it looked like all the powers were on the slave owner's side and nothing could ever stop them. But they were like grass. Think throughout the 20th century. Hitler was a wicked, ruthless man. And it looked like he was going to take over the world. Mussolini was a wicked, ruthless man. We could just name a lot of names. Mao and Pol Pot. and we could just, The list is long. Joseph Stalin. People keep thinking they're going to take over the world with their power. Wicked, wicked, ruthless men rise to power. And it looks like nothing can stop them. But all those names are relegated to the list of history's villains. They have died. They have met their maker. They have found accountability. And though the wicked effects of their choices, in some cases, persist for generations, which this psalm talks about, uh, good is always winning, and evil is always losing. 
And of course, right now we're in a moment of history where Vladimir Putin looks really strong and he's a wicked, ruthless man that has oppressed his own people for a long time. And it's a moment where we need to pray, as Chauncey led us to pray a moment ago. But here's what I want you to notice, everybody. Repeat after me. Evil is always losing. Good is always winning. Because God is good. It may look like evil's like a big green laurel tree spreading out, but it's like grass here today, gone tomorrow. Let's just look at a few more verses that are emphasizing this point. 16, 17. Better is the little that the righteous has than the abundance of many wicked. Sometimes you look around and wicked people are flourishing. They're thriving. They're rich. They're successful. And righteous people are struggling. They just got a little. They're poor. They're having a hard time. But look at the second half of the stanza. For the arms of the wicked will be broken, but the Lord upholds the righteous. Anybody testify that you've ever been broke and God upheld you? We can skip down verses 25 through 29, talk about the generational effects of this. Verse 25 and 26 says, I have been young and now am old, yet I have never seen the righteous forsaken or his children begging for bread. He is ever lending generously and his children become a blessing. Man, that's my testimony. There's been a whole bunch of times in our life where we, God called us to do some missional thing and we moved out into some community. And uh, as a matter of fact, when we started Christ Community Church, I quit my job. I was teaching at OU and moved into the south side to Potomac House Apartments. That's where I met Dwayne. And we were, that's where I met several people here. And we were there um, and God called us to go before we were done with fundraising. And so often... Uh, Candace and I and our eldest daughter Abigail really didn't know how we were going to pay the bills or how we were going to buy groceries, but it was amazing to get texts or uh, to get checks in the mail with somebody that didn't even know what we were doing, but just saying, hey, I wanted to invest in your life. God put it on my heart to take care of you. Sometimes actually Dwayne would come by and bring us milk right when we needed it. The point was, uh, we didn't know where it was going to come from, but God takes care of his people. Can anybody testify God's taking care of you? And it says, he is ever lending generously and his children become a blessing. There's generational ripple effects of goodness. Skipping down verse 25 through 26. I have been young, uh, sorry, verse 27 through 29. Turn away from evil and do good. So shall you dwell forever for the Lord loves justice. He will not forsake his servants. They are preserved forever, but the children of the wicked shall be cut off. The righteous shall inherit the land and dwell Upon it forever. Listen, verse 28 is not saying God is going to punish people for what their dad or their granddad did. But it is saying that if I choose to walk in wickedness, that's going to hurt people that come after me. Goodness, righteousness brings generational blessing. Wickedness brings hurt into the world that lasts for generations. Wickedness is always losing. Wickedness devours the wicked. Evil devours those who perpetrate it finally just look at one more skip down to verse 37 through 38 it says mark the blameless and behold the upright for there is a future for the man of peace i want you to underline that word future and that word peace if you're a person of shalom a peacemaker a person who walks with god and tries to bless others the psalm is saying god is going to take care of you whatever you're going through right now there's a future there's a future for you. So that's the big overall theme of the psalm, and it raises some questions for us. Specifically, some of us in here are asking questions like, if Psalm 37 is true, why does it so often look to me like evil is winning in the world? 
Is the scripture asking me to disbelieve my eyes and my experience of the world? I think Psalm 37 gives us at least two answers to that question. First, we need to take a longer view of things. See, sometimes blessings come to the righteous quickly and sometimes trouble and judgment comes to the wicked quickly, but often not. Often, evil seems to be victorious for days and weeks and months and years and sometimes even decades. Children of Israel had to cry out for generations before the power of their oppressors was broken. We need to take a longer view of things. We tend to think in the short term, but if we start thinking in terms of centuries, now it becomes clear even from the perspective of human history, yeah, wickedness destroys itself. But more importantly, we need to think from the perspective of eternity. Do you know what all the wicked people and all the righteous people in history have in common? They're all dead. And then they stood before God. C.S. Lewis was right when he observed all that is not eternal is eternally out of date. Okay, so this life and the decades that we're walking through are a short period of time. But the Bible's calling us to have a perspective which is broader. We're looking at decades, we're looking at centuries, generations, especially we're looking at things from the perspective of eternity, which leads to the second answer. We need to keep God in the center of our perspective. See, it seems to make sense to think that the wicked will thrive and the righteous will suffer forever unless God exists. Unless God is real and God is holy and merciful and just and mighty and righteous. In fact, I would say maybe the most important two verses of the psalm are the last two verses. Look at them. Why can we know That evil is always losing and good is always winning. Because, verse 39 and 40 say, The salvation of the righteous is from the Lord. He is their stronghold in the time of trouble. The Lord helps and delivers them. He delivers them from the wicked and saves them because they take refuge in Him. The reason we can know that even when it looks like evil is winning, evil is always losing and good is always winning is because God is a mighty deliverer. God is a righteous Savior, and it says He saves the righteous, but what does it mean by the righteous? Well, the last phrase tells us, those who take refuge in Him, doesn't mean the perfect people. Aren't you glad God doesn't just save perfect people? Because then we'd all be in trouble. But it says, those who take refuge in Him. If you're a person who trusts in Jesus Christ and puts your faith in Him, this means that Whatever's going on in your life, even if it looks like evil and the forces of chaos are winning, you can know that God is going to win because God is your salvation. God is your stronghold. God is your helper. God is your deliverer and he will never fail you. Now as Christians read this, we know it even more than David knew it because we know Jesus, don't we? In Jesus Christ, we find the God who loved us enough to come from heaven all the way down to earth and to die on the cross to rescue us, not just from evil out there, but from the evil in our own souls. And if God loved us that much, he's not going to abandon us now. And in Jesus Christ, we find the God who is strong enough so that Satan, sin, and death could not beat him. They could not hold him. Jesus rose from the grave victoriously, which means not only is God not going to abandon us, but God's not going to lose. He's never going to lose. If all those other 
notorious people we name from history were not a threat to King Jesus, then whatever tyrant pops up next will not be a threat to King Jesus. He wins. He wins in history. So that's the big theme. Even if it looks like evil is winning, evil is always losing and good is always winning because God is good. Now, I want to just zoom in and look at a few key verses. The rest of the psalm is here to teach us how do we live in the light of that good news. It's about learning to become people of hope. As a matter of fact, one of the key words I would say for this psalm, it's not a word that's used a lot in the psalm, but it summarizes a lot of what the psalm is about is the hope. Everybody say hope. Christians are people of hope. We know that Jesus is going to win. We know that even when it looks like evil is victorious for the moment, it's not because the Son of God who died for our sins and rose again is coming back to set all things right. We're people of hope. And hope is not passive. To be a people of hope means we resist evil and do good now with confidence that our labor is not in vain. Hope is comforting in times of trouble, but it's not merely comforting, it's energizing. It compels us out into the world. Now, how do we live as people of hope? Let's just zoom in and look at a few of the beautiful verses here. First, verses 3 and 4. These are two of the most often quoted verses from this psalm for good reason. They say, trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and befriend faithfulness. Delight yourself in the Lord And he will give you the desires of your heart. I encourage you to memorize those verses if you haven't yet. Think of them often. Trust in the Lord and do good. How do you live as a person of hope? A person of spiritual maturity who is grounded and centered in Christ even when it looks like evil is winning. Here's how. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and befriend faithfulness. Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Trust in the Lord Because the Lord is trustworthy, because he's never failed you in the past and because he won't fail you in the future. What that means for us practically is this. Keep preaching the gospel to yourself and keep preaching the gospel to one another. Remind each other God loved you enough to send Jesus to save you. He's not going to abandon you now. Remind each other Jesus Christ will return in glory to set everything right. Keep preaching the gospel to yourself. Hey, listen, when you got thought patterns going on in your mind and heart that are leading you away from being zealous for good works and being happy to worship God, you got to do the work in your own heart that Jared was doing for us all earlier when he says, you just got to let it go and come back to the truth in Christ Jesus, right? And speaking of which, that's why we need each other. We need each other. Dietrich Bonhoeffer said, the whole reason for Christian community is the gospel is always stronger in my brother's heart than it is in my own heart, right? I always believe the gospel more for you than I do for me. You believe it more for me than you do for you, so we got a fellowship, right? <laughs> Let's talk to each other about this. So trust in the Lord. Preach the gospel to yourself and to others. And while you're trusting in the Lord, do good. Don't be passive. Bless somebody. If it looks like evil is winning, serve somebody. When it looks like everything is too dark and you feel like getting up, giving up, pray for somebody. Help somebody out. Give some money away to somebody else. Share the gospel with somebody. Open up a Bible and read with somebody. Just bless somebody. There's a million little ways to do good. And every time we do any of those things, God's grace is flowing through us to bring hope and healing to the world. So everybody say, trust in the Lord and do good. Then it says, dwell in the land and befriend faithfulness. Dwell in the land. Dwell in the land. Y'all heard the little saying, bloom where you're planted? That's what this is about. 
Wherever you are, God has you there on purpose. And when life is very difficult and we start fretting, it's easy to let our minds run wild of escapist fantasies. How can I run away from my problems? Which is usually not a good idea, right? Running away from your problems. They have a way of catching you, for one thing, when you run away from them. Instead of like, hold on to Jesus and just face it, deal with it. Wherever God has you, he has you on purpose. Now, I'm not saying you never leave, you never move, or you never leave your current situation, but you do it when Jesus tells you to, right? When Jesus leads you to make a change, you make a change. Until then, you be faithful in your post where Jesus has put you. And that phrase, befriend faithfulness, means just stay where Jesus has placed you and do good and keep doing good and don't grow weary of doing good. Just stay there and keep praying. Stay there and keep worshiping in the home where God has you taking care of those kids. Just keep taking care of those kids. We talked about just a moment ago, wickedness has generational ramifications. It will hurt our kids if we rebel against God. Righteousness has generational ramifications. It will bless those that come after us if we walk with God. In your job, in your neighborhood, in your church, where God has planted you, befriend faithfulness. Proverbs says everybody proclaims their own faithfulness, but a faithful man who can find. And isn't Proverbs accurate about the world? But don't you love it when there's people that every time you get around them in good times and in bad times, they're always ready to do a little good. They're always ready to pray. They're always ready to take that next step of obedience. It's saying, become that kind of person. And then verse 4 says, delight yourself in the Lord. Delight yourself in the Lord means exactly what it sounds like. It means we've got to learn how to get our souls happy in God. Especially when it looks like evil is winning in the world, we've got to embrace the contemplative spirituality that is necessary to sustain our active mission and to guide it and to guard it. You know those words I just said? In, in Christian tradition, we talk about the active life and the contemplative life. The active life is like, I'm out there doing, I'm sharing the gospel, I'm serving the poor, I'm standing up for justice, I'm evangelizing, planting a church, whatever. Or I'm out there taking care of my family, I'm going to work, I'm taking care of business. That's the active life. It's very important. The contemplative life is, I'm learning to be still. I'm learning to be silent. I'm studying the Bible. I'm praying. I'm not doing anything that you can quantify. And both are important. In different seasons of life and with different vocations and gifts, we may have an emphasis on one or the other, but they're both part, an integral part of the Christian life. And especially when it looks like evil is winning in the world, especially in times of darkness, we need to deeply cultivate a contemplative spirituality that can sustain our active work to do good in the world. Saying delight yourself in the Lord means be still long enough to look at God and remember the gospel and enjoy the presence of the Lord. And when your soul gets happy in God, now you're going to have something to give to the world. Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. That's just saying uh, the people that trust in the Lord and find their refuge in him will one day gaze upon the face of the Lord in a new creation and be satisfied in him forever. That's what it's saying. Sometimes I've heard people read this verse and say, does this mean it's going to give me da 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 and all the list of things that they want? And if that's where you are, then I would just say, go back to the previous phrase, delight yourself in the Lord. 
We must learn to delight ourselves in the Lord before we know what it means that He will give us the desires of our heart. Let me skip down a little bit. We're not going to talk about very many of these verses, but I want to just take a minute to zoom in on a few more of these. How do we live as people of hope? That's what we're asking. How do we become spiritually mature people that keep walking with God when it looks like evil is winning in the world so that we can be a blessing to others? Well, verse 7 is very helpful. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for Him. Fret not yourself over the one who prospers in His way, over the man who carries out evil devices. I want to focus on those first two words. Everybody say, be still. What is this saying? It's saying we need a contemplative spirituality to sustain our active mission. Saying we need to learn to be quiet in the presence of God. We learn to, need to learn the radical act of doing nothing. Stanley Hauerwas once said that sometimes when there's evil raging in the world, the most uh, radical thing you can do is nothing. Be still. Pray. Listen to God. Think. Be still. Do you know how to be still? It's hard to be still. Especially when your phone's blowing up. You've got so many distractions. What if I was just still for a second up here? It was all awkward in this room. Just being quiet. God says to us, be still and know that I am God. And I want to just encourage you to think about what would it look like to make more space in your life for stillness, which is an intentional stillness about saying, I'm going to come into the presence of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. I'm going to hear His gospel. I'm going to refrain, certainly from bad activities, but also from good activities, just to be with the Lord. I recommend it. I recommend having more time for stillness in your life to hear the Word of God and then to sit and let the Holy Spirit do work in your heart. And don't rush it. As a matter of fact, the the verse says, be still before the Lord and wait patiently for Him. You can't rush stillness. And if you're like trying to be task-oriented and productive, it's like, okay, I've been still. What am I getting from this stillness? What is my stillness lesson? It's just like, be still. (laughs) Just be still, right? I've been still for five minutes and (laughs) I don't know that got that much out of it. Just be still in the presence of God. We need a contemplative spirituality to sustain our active work. And this is related to the next stanza. Verses 8 and 9 say, Refrain from anger and forsake wrath. When it looks like evil is winning in the world, isn't it easy to get, easy to get bitter at everybody and everything? Well, how do you get unbitter? Be still and remember the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let's look down a little bit more. Verse 27. I want to zoom in on this one for a second. Turn away from evil and do good. So shall you dwell forever. Turn away from evil and do good. So shall you dwell forever. This is an important verse if we're going to be spiritually mature people who are people of hope and righteousness even when it looks like evil is winning in the world because times of suffering and times of chaos are times that the devil attacks and tempts. Last year, we spent some time studying the spirituality of the wilderness. The wilderness is a common reality and metaphor in the Bible about those times where we feel spiritually dry, when we feel far from God, where we're tempted, where we feel alone or isolated, where we're suffering. 
And the thing about those times of suffering and those times in the wilderness is that both the devil and God are very active in those moments. God is active with grace to heal and transform. The devil is active to tempt. So it's saying not just do good, but turn away from evil. It's saying, watch out. This is going to be a time of temptation. The devil's going to bring lies. He doesn't have that many new lies. He just uses the old ones because they keep working. Remember back to Genesis chapter 3? Just don't trust God. Just go your own way. Your own way. You'll be happier. And he can give you lots of convincing, convincing arguments not to submit to the authority of Scripture, right? You can argue your way out from under the authority of Scripture, and God will let you. He calls on you. He pleads with you not to. But if you do that, it's going to work out as well as it did for humans in Genesis chapter 3, which is to say, not at all, right? It's going to be a time of temptation. Jesus was tempted by the devil in the wilderness. So turn away from evil. Don't give in to gossip and slander. It's easy to do so. Don't give in to bitterness and resentment. Don't go self-medicate with any kind of addiction. It could be drugs or alcohol addiction. It could be video game addiction. Just self-medicating in unhealthy ways. Don't seek salvation through sexual experiments that are outside of the bounds created by God's word for human sexuality. I don't name those specific sins just because those are my favorite to talk about. I don't actually like talking about those sins. But I name those because over the last 12 years of pastoring this church, those are the sins I've seen most frequently ruin people's lives. Gossip, slander, bitterness, addiction, sexual immorality. They just ruin a lot of people's lives. So when the devil comes tempting, what it's saying is resist the devil. Submit yourself to God. And resist the devil because it's predictable. We're not ignorant of the devil's schemes. Turn away from evil and do good. By the way, let me just say one thing about bitterness. Because the last two years have been so emotionally exhausting and there's been constant change and stress, I've just had the experience that pretty much all of us are fighting bitterness temptation towards somebody. And a lot of people have been calling me as a pastor to help mediate conflicts because with their friend or their roommate or whatever, they're feeling bitter. And aren't you tired of bitterness? Isn't it exhausting? It doesn't eat us up from the inside. So we don't want to be bitter. We don't want to let critical narratives run in our heads until our hearts become twisted and then we're mad at everybody. So how do you fight against bitterness? I'm just going to say a couple things about that real quick. Turn away from evil of bitterness. What does that look like? I think the number one thing, the most important is in my mind, I've got to every day recognize how much grace I need and receive from Jesus. It's hard to stay bitter at everybody else if I'm very aware of how much grace I need and how much grace I receive day by day. If I'm bitter at somebody else, that usually means it's usually an expression of arrogance, actually. Arrogance towards God and arrogance towards this person. But when I remember, I need grace, I struggle with sin, I need forgiveness, and every day God gives it to me, it's hard to stay bitter. So be centered on the gospel. The next thing I would say is pray for God to help you see the beauty of this person. Because everybody's made in the image of God, which means everybody's beautiful. Everybody's wonderful. If we're seeing only the ugliness in other people, we're not seeing them accurately. We're not, I mean, the ugliness might be there, but we're not seeing the most important thing about them. 
So God, help me to see people like you do. And the third thing I would say, Jesus just tells us to pray for our enemies. And I found, don't, it doesn't necessarily help that much with bitterness if it's like, Lord, strike them down, right? But I found for myself, if I just start praying for God to bless the people I'm frustrated at, pretty, it makes it harder for me to stay bitter at them. If I start praying for God to bless them before long, I want to bless them. And God changes my heart. So everybody say, turn away from evil and do good. All right, I'm just going to point us to one more little section before we wrap up. I had two more in here, but it's too cold, y'all. We don't need the last one. Just meditate on Psalm 37 all week. Look at verse 30 through 31. The mouth of the righteous utters wisdom, and his tongue speaks justice. The law of God is in his heart. His steps do not slip. What is the psalm saying? Spiritually mature people, people of hope, in times of crisis and struggle when it looks like evil is winning in the world, wisdom and justice flow out of their mouths. Don't you love getting around people like that? In a time of crisis, you get around them and they speak God's truth. Wisdom flows out of their mouth. Well, how does wisdom flow out of their mouth? Because God's word is in their heart. How do they get God's word in their heart? They learned to practice a contemplative spirituality that could sustain them in the active work of doing good. I'm being a little repetitive today because there's a theme here, guys. Do you see it? If we're going to be spiritually mature people, we need the contemplative and the active. And that contemplative part is both individual and communal. We can't afford to neglect either one of those. We need to learn to sit in the presence of God, to hear his word and worship him together, and to do that alone. We need to learn stillness and silence in the presence of God together and alone. And it's saying, if you'll become that kind of a person who sits and hears the word of God until it's not just information in your brain, but it dwells in your heart, then you'll also be the kind of person that even in times of crisis, when you're squeezed, what flows out of you is wisdom and justice. Now, I just want to finish today by reminding you of where we started. It may look like evil is winning in the world, but evil is always losing and good is always winning because God is good. Jesus Christ has won the victory and Jesus Christ is going to win the victory. On the cross, he already defeated sin, Satan and death. He's returning in glory to set everything right. Everybody say Jesus wins. That's the truth. And when we're people of hope who believe that truth, then we're the kind of people who can be mature and steadfast in hard times. And since we keep talking about stillness and contemplative spirituality, I want to end just with a moment of silence before I go sit down. I'm going to read to you again verses 39 and 40, and we're just going to be quiet for a little longer than is comfortable, which won't take very long because, once again, it's very cold in here. But let's just be quiet together in the presence of God, verses 39 through 40. By the way, did I tell you all that the coil for our heater is in, so God willing, next week is going to be warm in here? Can't we praise Jesus? Evil is always losing. Good is always winning. It's going to be warm in here. But look with me at verse 39 through 40. The salvation of the righteous is from the Lord. God is their stronghold in times of trouble. The Lord helps them and delivers them. He delivers them from the wicked and saves them because they take refuge in him. Let's just bow our heads and be quiet. Let that truth sink into our heart for a moment.
Oh Lord, we come to you today as a people that are thankful that you are always at work. When we are still in your presence, you are fighting our battles for us. We thank you that you sent Jesus not only to save us from the evil that's out there, but from the evil that lurks in our own hearts. And we want to say, Holy Spirit, come. Would you help us be free from sexual immorality? Help us be free from laziness and drunkenness and bitterness and anger and gossip and slander. We thank you for the gospel that if we confess our sins, you're faithful and just to forgive us. That we don't have to live under the guilt and shame of our sin in Christ, but we thank you also that by the power of the Holy Spirit, we don't have to keep doing it. So would you renew our minds so that our hearts and our thought processes would be glorifying to you? Lord, would you make us a people who delight ourselves in the Lord, who know how to be still in your presence so that we give your Holy Spirit space to make us mature, make us wise and holy. And Lord, as you do that work in us, I pray that you would also do a gracious work through us to bring blessing into our community. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.